Woke up quick at about noon. Thank you so much for downloading, streaming, and for listening here to the Tuesday, June 16th edition of the podcast with Demi Barling, presented by Vibe Health Bar. Man, yesterday seemed like a bad day in sports. There wasn't a single game played, wasn't a single player signed, uh, traded, free agency, nothing. But from top to bottom, yesterday felt like an absolute disaster. Actually, I shouldn't say that. It wasn't really in the, I don't, I don't want to say that. It wasn't in the world of sports. You know, the NBA story is, is still a story. You know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that and what the NBA players are saying. The NFL is, is gearing up for what they expect their regular season to look like. And now we've got, you know, COVID-19 cases out coming out with some, some marquee NFL players. And there was a, a special on ESPN last night called The Return to Sports. And Goodell was on it. Adam Silver was on it. Um, well, I, I guess this is where we should start. Rob Manfred was on it, too. Dude, this was a disaster for Major League Baseball. Like, we thought it, we knew things have been bad with baseball, but it's actually somehow, it somehow, between yesterday's show and today, it went from really bad to holy crap, doomsday worse. Here's Rob Manfred on ESPN yesterday talking to Mike Greenberg on the return to sports. Rob, what are your concerns for the optics of this circumstance playing out as publicly as they are during the time in this country where all the other things, the confluence of events involving the pandemic and protests in the streets and everything else, of this playing out as publicly as it is? It's just a disaster for our game. Um, absolutely no question about it. Um, it. It shouldn't be happening. Um, and it's important that we find a way to get past it and get the game back on the field for the benefit of our fans. Yeah, Rob, don't see that happening, Robbie. Doesn't, doesn't look at it. He also said in that same conversation with Greenberg, by the way, I think this is where Greenberg shines. Like, I think Mike Greenberg is really good when he is in like a news format and he's less than a when he's less in a format like Get Up, where it's it's a lot of opinion based and it's kind of a lot of traffic directing, which he's 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 good at traffic directing as well. But when he is delivering the news and he is allowed to have a hard hitting interview, I think he I think he's actually capable of doing a really good job. I think Mike and Mike the 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 program he was neutered and he wasn't allowed to ask whether it was Roger Goodell or Tiger Woods or or whoever he wasn't allowed to ask them difficult questions because it was agreed to beforehand that they weren't going to ask difficult questions. But when he's in a format like this and you realize that those difficult questions are going to be asked, I think Mike Greenberg does a really good job, and I think he did a great job of navigating this conversation with Rob Manfred, and they got into a, you know, a deeper discussion about uh, uh, you know, Major League Baseball and where it's at. And remember, it was five days ago that we came on this podcast and we heard Rob Manfred say, I'm 100% certain there's going to be a Major League Baseball season. Five days ago. And yet, you know, here we are today. Here's, here's, here's more from, from Mike Greenberg and Rob Manfred. Last week that you felt 100% certain that there will be a season this year. How do you feel today? Well, I know the owners are 100% committed to getting baseball back on the field. Um, unfortunately, I can't tell you that I'm 100% certain that's going to happen. Uh, I had been hopeful that once we got to common ground on the idea that um, we were going to pay the players full prorated salary, 
that we would get some cooperation in terms of proceeding under the agreement that we negotiated with the MLBPA on March 26th. Unfortunately, over the weekend, um, while Tony Clark was declaring his desire to get back to work, the union's top lawyer was out telling reporters, players, and eventually getting back to owners that as soon as we issued a schedule, as they requested, they intended to file a grievance claiming they were entitled to an additional billion dollars. Obviously, that sort of bad faith tactic makes it extremely difficult um, to move forward in these circumstances. What are your concerns for the optics of this circumstance playing out as publicly? Obviously, you just you just heard that clip right there. So it, it's it's funny because they're, they're talking about like a backdoor conversation, like something that has hasn't been made public, something that hasn't been you know said out there. But he's saying the owners are 100 percent committed to getting baseball back on track. Remember. Rob Manfred is a guy who was working for the owners. That's what we often talk about with commissioners in sports, right? They are they are there at the behest of the owners. They are there to be a fall guy for the owners. Adam Silver has a unique ability to to be a good balance, right? He, he yep, I work for the owners. Of course. But I'm also here for the players. Rob Manfred has not found that balance as the Major League Baseball commissioner. And for him to talk about, you know, what Tony Clark is doing, what Tony Clark is saying, like, here's Tony Clark's response last night. Players are disgusted that after Rob Manfred unequivocally told players and fans out there would 100% be a 2020 season, he has decided to go back on his word and is now threatening to cancel the entire season. Any implication that the Players Association has somehow delayed progress on health and safety protocols is completely false. As Rob has recently acknowledged the party's are very, very close. So he's talking about this alleged grievance, he being Rob Manfred. Sorry, Rob Manfred is allegedly talking about some grievance Tony Clark was telling people behind the scenes that he was going to file, and it was like rumor and innuendo to steal a line from one of my favorite podcasts. It's like, okay, maybe, maybe if you went ahead and issued your schedule, maybe if you went ahead and you put that in place, because right now I believe all of us, I, I, I don't know, what do you think? I think most of us see this as the fault of the Major League Baseball owners. And I should pose that as a question. Who do you put at fault? Now, don't give me, like, don't, don't, don't send me the text that says, you know, there's equal blame for everybody. 916-888-5898. If you're new to the show, that's the text number. Lock it in your phone. It comes, it comes directly to me. It might as well be my home phone number. 916-888-5898. You can't, you can't play both sides of this. It, it, to, to me, it is just clear as day that this is the fault of Major League Baseball owners. There was an agreement signed, and Rob alluded to it there in that uh, uh, piece that we just played from you with Mike Greenberg. The, the, the agreement that was signed back on March 26th, there was an agreement for the amount of money that was going to be paid, uh, the amount of salary loss that the players were going to take, uh, and the protocols that were going to have to be put in place, plus a guarantee of, uh, I think, a three-week you know, spring training 2.0 type of camp. All of that was laid out, and it feels, you know, Rob Manfred has the nerd to talk about bad faith. Bad faith, like all we've seen over the last two months is baseball trying to come up with some sort of different proposal that would take more money from the Major League Baseball players. They already agreed to cut their salary in the, lo- in, the in the event of loss of games. Well, here we are. The event of loss of games has happened. Major League Baseball players have decided that they, they have agreed to, they have already agreed to cut their salary, but yet you want them to cut them more. And in some cases, 
in your first proposal, you wanted to cut it significantly more. So if you're baseball and you truly believe, if you're the Major League Baseball owners and you truly believe this is the fault of the Players Association, why wouldn't you just issue the schedule? If, if, if what Rob Manfred said is true and Tony Clark is going behind their back and, he, and then the players are going to file the grievance and they're going to do all of this stuff, you have an agreement, a signed agreement from the Players Association that says what they'll do, uh, the amount of, of, of salary that they'll cut, and how they'll approach returning to the game. You have an agreement that is signed. If what you're insinuating, not even insinuating, what you're flat out saying, if it's true, if what if what you say Tony Clark is doing is true, why not issue the schedule and make them do it publicly? Why not force the players in into a a position where they have to file that grievance publicly? And then we see it. And then maybe the then maybe the the narrative switches. And then, you know, maybe the argument becomes, well, it's both of their faults. Or maybe the argument becomes it's the player's fault. Or maybe we just look at this and go, nobody was operating in good faith here. Nobody was negotiating in good faith. This was just all, this was all a ruse. It was all the show. The owners and the players associate, they just put on a show for, for three and a half months. And the only people that lose is the fans. This is like a, if you're a wrestling fan and you ever watch those buried alive matches, this is what this is. The Players Association and the owners of Major League Baseball, they're involved in a buried alive match. And you know who loses in a buried alive match? The fans. Because every single match sucks. There's never been a good buried alive match. But in the end, it just winds up with one of the guys, it's almost always the Undertaker, with a bunch of dirt on top of him. And the only people who lost were the fans because they had to sit through it and watch that crap. That's what this is. These two entities are just burying each other. And meanwhile, the fans are looking like you have. Got to be kidding me. You had the opportunity. These guys should be playing baseball right now. We should be in the midst of a Major League Baseball season. Rob, dude, they're doing this wrong. If you really think it's the player's fault, force force their hand. Okay, you're going to file a grievance? Cool. Do it publicly. Let everybody see what you're doing because... The players have let everybody see what the owners are doing. And I think the owners look terrible in this situation. And even if they do, you know, put together a schedule and put together a plan to return and the players still file a grievance, as as Rob Manfred suggested they would, it doesn't absolve the owners at all because they still look ridiculous. It looks ridiculous that we've gotten this far. It looks ridiculous that this has turned into a work stoppage. But still, you put the onus on the players where now all of a sudden, hey, you're going to get 48 games. You'll get a postseason, you know, the whole deal. By the way, baseball just signed a uh, a deal to keep their uh, postseason games on. Well, I think it's the, the, I don't know, I used to call them the Turner Networks. I don't know if that's still what they're called, but on TBS and so on. It's like a billion dollars or something like that. It doesn't mean they, you know, all of a sudden have a billion dollars of influx of cash. It means that they've signed that deal to lock up their television rights, their postseason television rights for a long time. So there's money coming into Major League Baseball. As we've said from day one, these sports leagues are are not operating in the red. I don't know. Like, what? I don't know. Like, what? I just, what's today going to bring that's worse for baseball? 
every day we wake up and something horrible happens with baseball, like what is today going to bring? Like, is the whole league just going to blow up? Like, oh, the baseball's gone. That's about, that's about, that's, that's like our next step. Oh, baseball just no longer exists anymore. Just the whole, the whole league folded. It's all over. From the, I mean, just think about the trajectory of how bad things have gone for baseball over the last couple of months. It's like, okay, the pandemic has shut spring training down. It's shut everything down. But look at this. The, the owners and the players, they got together and they signed this, this, this agreement for a return to baseball. All right. Okay, good. We don't know when that return is going to be, but they did it. But then along the way, you get, oh, we've got to kind of shut down the minor league system. Oh, we're going to stop paying minor league baseball players. Individual franchises are going to stop paying minor league baseball players who make, you know, little to nothing, man. Those guys might make more money on this COVID-19 plan coming out of the uh, unemployment line. Yeah, but it's like just step after step after step after step is just worse. Worse and worse and worse for Major League Baseball. And just, I, I didn't think it could get any worse. But somehow, here we are, the guy who says, uh, I'm 100% confident there's going to be a Major League Baseball season, How has now said, ah, maybe not so much. But that line was pretty telling, though. That line at the beginning of that clip with, with, with Mike Greenberg when he said the owners are 100% committed to getting back to baseball. He, he put this clearly uh, on the shoulders. He put this squarely on the shoulders of uh, the Major League Baseball players. More came out of that return to sports last night. Another clip I want to play for you. Uh, Mike Greenberg was talking to Roger Goodell, commissioner of the NFL. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of talk about social justice and equality and, you know, the different racial issues across this country right now. And, and Roger Goodell kind of being at the center of this, most people believing that the NFL is a racially charged league within itself, uh, Goodell was asked about Colin Kaepernick. Goodell was asked about Colin Kaepernick and his return to the NFL. So uh, Greenberg has already set up the question. Here's here's Roger Goodell's response to that. Well, listen, uh, if he wants to resume his career uh, in the NFL, um, that obviously is going to take a team to make that decision. But I welcome that, uh, support the club making that decision and encourage them to do that. Um, if his efforts are not on the field, but and continuing to work in this space, uh, we welcome to that, to that table and, and to be able to help us and guide us and help us make better decisions about the kinds of things that need to be done in communities. Uh, we have invited him in before and we wanna make sure that uh, everybody's welcome at that table and trying to help us deal with some very complex, difficult issues that have been around, unfortunately, for a long time. Uh, but I hope we're at a point now where everybody's committed to making long-term sustainable change. Why? Okay. Role. No, no, no problem with what he said there. I, I want to try to dissect it a little bit. Uh, he obviously made it a point to, to, to say that Colin Kaepernick, has, he's, he's been invited before, which I, I believe that's accurate. He, he has been invited to, uh, I, I, he was originally asked to be a part of, the players coalition and see that's the thing about the you know this metaphorical table like when we use the line ah oh, you get a seat at the table if you don't trust the person who's at the head of the table you don't want to sit there it's like these guys who 
You know, it's it's like guys like like Jim Brown, right? You you want to believe that Jim Brown is this activist and this leader, but yet at the beginning of Trump's present presidency, there 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 Jim Brown was. He was he was Donald Trump's token black guy. He was like, look, black athletes, look who I got on my side. And the reason he did that is because he wanted a seat at this metaphorical table. You believe that if you're invited to sit at this table, that somehow you're going to have a say in the conversation. Like if we if we you know expand the analogy further this this metaphorical table is a dinner table well you believe that because you have a seat that you have influence over the dinner that's going to be served when in actuality you don't the person who is sitting at the head of the table is still the one who has all of the control in this situation whether it's Roger Goodell or it's some other influential you know NFL owner or maybe one that has seemingly disappeared for the last 3 weeks maybe it's that guy Maybe it's Robert Kraft. Maybe it's somebody else. But no matter who it is, if you're Colin Kaepernick, you probably don't trust the person who is sitting at the head of that table, especially given the fact that you just went through a lawsuit with them, especially given the fact that you just went through a collusion lawsuit with them in which you accuse them of actively and uh, cohesively keeping you out of the league. It's what coercion is. So I... I Roger Goodell has influence, and anybody who believes otherwise is just foolish. Roger Goodell was influential in Michael Sam being drafted by the Los Angeles Rams, or St. Louis Rams, or whatever they were at the time. I think it was St. Louis. It was definitely St. Louis. And then when he wound up not making the team, who signed him to the practice squad? You don't think Roger Goodell had some influence over that? Does anybody remember what practice squad team he went to? Michael Sam, he was the he was the first openly gay base of uh, football player. He was the first openly gay player drafted, and I mean there was a sentiment that oh, maybe he's not like it's not because he's gay. It's just he might not be you know good enough to translate to the NFL. So the Rams brought him in. He gets cut, and he winds up on the Dallas Cowboys. Ah, of course. Backroom deals happen. Like, it's not, this is not new. Roger Goodell, if Roger Goodell really wanted Colin Kaepernick in the league, and this is this is where we go back a couple, you know, sometime last week or maybe the week before, where it was, I'd love for Cap to be back in the league, but I want him to be back in the league because he's a quarterback. Like, I want him to be back in the league because he can help someone win or he, he can, he can, you know, step on the field for someone who's injured or a team believes that if, you know, so-and-so goes down, then Cap would be the perfect replacement. Like, that's why Pete Carroll's comments last week were so annoying to me. Like, oh, I wish I would have signed Colin Kaepernick, you know, three years ago in 2017. He, he, you know, we, and we always believe that if something happens to Russell Wilson, like he's, he's, he's the perfect guy to slide in there and, 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 and take over and run our offense. Hey, wait a minute. Russell Wilson's still your quarterback. This is great. You can sign Colin Kaepernick right now. Ah, yeah, I mean, we're pretty happy with our situation. We got Geno Smith here. I'm I'm sorry. Geno Smith? Oh. So you regret not signing Colin Kaepernick three years ago, but you don't, you have no reservations about signing Geno Smith? Can y'all help me understand? This doesn't feel real. And there are places, look at Deshaun Watson. 
perfect. Kyler Kaepernick's makes the perfect backup for Deshaun Watson. You hear so much about the systems and having to learn the systems. Remember Marcus Mariota? Marcus Mariota, they, those, those guys in Tennessee had a system that they ran. And guess what? When they change quarterbacks, they change systems. And I could be wrong. You could argue differently. I think it worked out okay for Tennessee. I mean, the guy who took the backup position or the guy who was in the backup position is now the starter. And the guy whose job he took is now in Las Vegas as a backup quarterback. Of course, I still have the Cam Newton thing in my head. Like, I'd be stunned if Colin Kaepernick gets signed and Cam Newton doesn't have a job. I can't believe that Cam Newton is out of the league right now at the age of 30. 30! Cam Newton does not have a job. Cam Newton, Cam Newton was a front runner for the MVP like a year and a half ago. I guess at this point, it's probably two years ago. He's not in the league right now. I understand there are other, you know, with NFL um, NFL uh, facilities being closed. I understand there's kind of an inability to evaluate him and his injuries. I'm, I'm sure that there's, you know, there's more that goes into it than just, well, Cam isn't a good enough quarterback anymore. But man... If you were going to take a, a, a flyer on a guy, like if you were going to take a risk, man, wouldn't you want to take a risk on Cam Newton? I mean, Cam Newton's ability to start game one of the NFL season is virtually gone. Not, not even virtually, it's gone. But if he starts a game at all this season, if he's even in an NFL uniform this season, uh, that, that remains to be seen. But, you know, Goodell is attempting to say the right things. He's attempting to say the right things in regards to social justice. He's attempting to say the right things in regards to Colin Kaepernick. I just don't know why, if you're Cap, you feel you need a seat at this this table, at this NFL table. Jay-Z got a seat at the table. They actually painted that picture like Jay-Z was the head of that table. The NFL officials, they walked down to the Rock Nation building, and they met on Jay-Z's home turf. And it's been a disaster ever since for Jay Z. I know, I know, Jay. I don't think Jay Z has really made a public proclamation. I feel like he said something a couple of days ago, but it was it was nothing. He hasn't publicly admitted to taking the L yet in his uh, conversations with the NFL and his negotiations. Come to think of it, you remember last week when the NFL uh, made the announcement that they were donating two hundred fifty million dollars over the next ten years. Remember that? Yeah, Jay-Z had nothing to do with that. Like, there was no there was no uh, mention of Rock Nation. There was no mention of Jay-Z. There was no mention of the partnership. Jay-Z was played in a very public fashion. Again, because much like Jim Brown and Donald Trump, Jay-Z wanted a seat at the table. Oh, y'all don't know, man. Jay-Z, man, he had, y'all playing checkers. He playing chess. Like, oh, for real? Like, okay. Yeah, checkmate, fam, because you lost. You got played publicly by the NFL. And hey, Jay, don't feel bad. A lot of people have gotten played. But they did this grandstand gesture to go meet at Rock Nation. And, you know, Roger Goodell doesn't have a suit and tie on. He's got his NFL polo shirt, and he's just a regular guy hanging out with a hip-hop crew, huh? Yeah. L, bro. Acknowledge you took this L. 
And he wanted a seat at the table. Oh, he's playing. He's playing chess, man. He's going to be an NFL owner. Mm-hmm. How's that working? What team is he buying? Send me the memo. Y'all let a brother know. Jay got money. Like the, and that's, like, that's, that's the thing we've got to understand. There's money. Jay-Z is very wealthy. Very, very wealthy. And then there is on an NFL team wealthy. They're not the same. Jay-Z is not on an NFL team type wealthy. He's certainly not majority of the NFL team wealthy. Hey, he can buy a piece of a team just like every, I mean, how many athletes in it? Doesn't Gloria Estefan own like part of the Dolphins or something? Or uh, uh, Jennifer Lopez, did Jennifer Lopez and her ex-husband own part of the Dolphin didn't like every celebrity who had any sort of remote tie to Miami own part of the Miami Dolphins at one point. Like Usher owns part of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Like who cares? Like it's a, it's not real. Oh, I forgot. Shaquille O'Neal is the owner of the Sacramento Kings. Jay-Z ain't got that kind of money to be the majority owner of an NFL football team. He got played. I, I just I just hope one day Jay-Z tweets, yep, I got played. My bad. Let's move on. Let's try let's let's try to fix this moving forward. These fools made a $250 million donation to social issues and blah, 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 blah. And they didn't even conclu- include my name. You know why they didn't include my name? Because they didn't consult me. You know why they didn't consult me? Because that whole partnership was fake. It was the NFL trying to save face with the black community. Like, hey, hey, black people, look what we did. We went and partnered with one of your favorite guys. Look at us. We got Jay-Z. Come on. Love us again. Meanwhile, everybody looked at Jay-Z like, uh, and not everybody. That's not true. That was a general statement. My bad. Not everybody looked at Jay-Z like he got played. I did. Uh Many people in my circle did, but other people also thought, hey, he's playing the long game here. Okay, maybe he is. It's a hell of a long game, man. It's a hell of a long game, and I just, I do, I does not appear to be going in Jay-Z's way right now. Uh, so that's what, that's what Roger Goodell had to say about Colin Kaepernick. There was a lot of other NFL stuff yesterday. As I said, I think the NFL, I think sports in general had a bad day. Still, this all pales in comparison to what we saw from college football and we'll get to that in a minute. Let's stick with the NFL here for just a smidge bit longer as, I guess, Ezekiel Elliott tested positive for COVID-19. Okay, according to a report yesterday, a small number of Dallas Cowboy players have tested positive for the coronavirus, and a source said a few Houston Texans. Now, I'm not um, supplanting words here. Like Those were the actual words used in the report about this a small number of Dallas Cowboy players, and a few Houston Texans. How Ezekiel Elliott got confirmed as one of those, I'm not really sure how people started snooping around thinking that it was Ezekiel Elliott. I'm not really sure, but his agent did confirm it uh, later on. Uh, None of the Cowboy players have been at the Star, which is the team's practice facility during the offseason. Those are poor league rules. Now, it's important to note that the that, that that the Cowboys have to say that publicly that that none of their players have been at the star that, that none of their players have been at their training facility. 
But if they've skirted the rules here a little bit, they could have a whole host of problems here if with some of these guys uh, testing positive. Says the team has been in uh, consistent contact with the players, uh, and the club has an infectious disease consultant on its medical staff. I believe that's a requirement moving forward this season. Uh, a source said one player had flu-like symptoms late last week but was feeling better, and the other players uh, that have been tested have been asymptomatic. So, uh, oh, here's a quote from the Dallas Cowboys, by the way. Due to federal and local privacy laws, we are unable to provide information regarding the personal health of any of our employees. We are following all CDC, local, and NFL guidelines to keep our facility safe, including limiting employee access, end quote there from the Dallas Cowboys. So, with Roger Goodell on that uh, return to sports thing last night, you know, the question came up of, you know, how are you going to handle these COVID-19 cases? And he was just like, well, we're going to have them. Like, we know we're going to have them. And I think there needs to be... the. You know America has the most cases in the entire world, right? You, you, you know that like, America now has the most deaths from COVID-19. And we also have reopened faster than everybody else has. And I, I can't... I know I started yesterday's show, like, pleading with people to... You know, be aware and be safe. And if you got to go to work, be careful. But, you know, maybe it's not time to go back to the dive bar yet. Maybe it's not time to go back to the club and to some of these different things. Maybe you just, you know, if you need that social interaction, man, get some, you know, head over to, you know, grab grab, grab your drinks at the store, come back to the house and have people over. You know, ha- have people within your inner circle over, man, because this just does not feel safe. You know, the more and more I watch this stuff play out, you know, especially, you know, you go back and you look at all of the protests and I feel like a lot of people who were marching in, at least in Sacramento, it sure looked like a lot of people were wearing masks. At least if we're talking about a a higher than 50% barometer, I I feel like that that was the case. Higher than 50%, by the way, wasn't enough. It needed to be you know, everybody needed to have one on or close to everybody. And I don't feel like that was the case, but we have, we have convinced ourselves, but you know, and I, and I get it, man, you know, being stuck in the house and all of that stuff and you know, your way of life changes. We've convinced ourselves that somehow because the state has said, Hey, you know, we're going to start reopening gyms in a certain way. Like, Hey, you know, maybe you can go back to the bar. Like all of a sudden it's like, all right, let's go. We made it. Like, ah, don't think we did. And I've said this time and time again, you know, November 4th, the day after the election, I think the country is going to be shut down for a second time. Assuming it hasn't gotten so bad cuz I feel like they're going to try to hide how bad it is cuz Trump can't afford. I think I do believe Trump is Teflon. And he wants to use the line and it circulates often, I could shoot someone in the head on 5th Avenue and wouldn't lose a vote. He's right. He could also be responsible for 100,000 deaths due to COVID-19 and wouldn't lose a single vote. I don't believe he's going to lose a single vote from his base. But if the economy gets shut down a second time before that election, then I think he would be in trouble for the very first time. I think he is in no danger right now in terms of his reelection. Absolutely none. But if the economy gets shut down a second time, I think because all we're really talking about is angry white people. 
and I, I'm sorry to be generic, but that's, that is what we're talking about. Because I, I think white people are going to continue to vote for him unless they get really pissed off at him for shutting down the economy and taking away their ability to go to work. or And maybe that isn't even going to do it. Because really, I'm not even confident that that's going to do it. That might sway you know, certain voters. I don't even know that it sways his base. It might sway the people who are in the middle and who maybe don't really vote along parties. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, this, this, this upcoming election is going to be fascinating because we know how bad things are in this country right now from a, from a disease perspective, from a COVID-19 perspective, from an economy perspective, and from a, um, a racial perspective. Like we, it's bad. And I don't know that people hold him responsible. But when he has nothing left to lose, when he realizes, oh, I got reelected, great. Okay, so my whole plan, my original plan to get the economy back open was really about me getting reelected. So we're going to go ahead and shut this thing down again. And hopefully maybe people will stop dying. Or maybe he doesn't care that people die. I, I, I don't know. But I, I think we've got to get past this perception that we have, we have exited the worst of this because we have not. And, you know, I remember reading that the, the company that makes the NFL helmets were talking about a potential face mask that uh, it acts as a, you know, the face mask that we wear to the store. Like it, it, it acts as like a disease control face mask. Like, okay, like that's, that's interesting. That could work. A lot of guys wear gloves anyways. I, I mean, I don't know. We all know what a girl sport football is. Like these guys are, I mean, these guys are in battle. They are in close proximity, play after play after play after play. There will be no social distancing in the NFL. Richard Goodell's like, well, we know we're going to get positive tests. We'll, you know, we'll have to deal with that as we, you know, as the season moves along. But what they really have got to be concerned with is what happens if a team gets infected. And I'm talking about, this is the same concern that we had with the NBA and its, and its return here in, in the next couple of weeks. Like we're just, we're six days away. Five days away from teams returning to their home market and beginning uh, COVID nineteen testing, like we're right there on the verge of that. This is just a couple of days away, and then it's going to be about a week later that uh, NFL or NBA practices start. Home market practices. So this is this is all approaching, you know, very 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 quickly. And I got to imagine that the NFL is going to watch what's happening in the NBA closely. Because if they can if they can follow the the model, so to speak, and how testing is done for the NBA, then the NFL should be able to get their season off without a hitch, even if they are traveling, like even if they do, uh, you know, get in, you know, you know, get in their private jets or get in their private planes, and you know, they fly to Las Vegas and they, you know, fly to Los Angeles and fly to San Francisco and do all of that stif- different stuff. I, I think how they handle the hotels is going to be fascinating. Uh, what type of interaction they have with hotel employees, uh, how rooms are sanitized prior to their arrival. I think those types of things are pretty fascinating. Uh, And and it'll be unique in that sense because it's not really something that, you know, the NBA is going to have to deal with it. I don't imagine there's going to be turndown service every day for NBA players in the bubble. Do you think? Like, I mean, especially given the fact that many of those guys are going to be living there. They're going to be living in those rooms for... Some of them for as long as three months. 
And so, like, do you do you have a hotel employee go in there every day to bring you new towels and to make your bed and to do all of that different stuff, or is that more a service that we limit to, you know, once a week and the 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 the, the hotel worker goes in there in like a hazmat suit? I don't think that's terribly far fetched. But it's one thing to do it with inside of a bubble. It's another thing to do it in 32 different NFL cities. So the, the NFL has got to watch how things go with the NBA uh, pretty closely. Particularly, another thing that they've really got to watch is what happens when the team starts to get multiple COVID-19 testing because roster sizes on the NFL are multiple times that of an NBA roster. Which, I mean, you know, we don't do math here on the podcast, but would lead me to believe that the cases in the NFL would be multiplied. Uh, one more NFL note, uh, San Francisco 49ers. This is actually a positive note here. Kyle Shanahan uh, and the San Francisco 49ers have agreed to a multi-year extension. He signed a six-year contract that replaces the three remaining years on his deal, uh, offers him three more, and ties him to the San Francisco 49ers through the 2025 season. Um, it also makes uh, Kyle Shanahan one of the NFL's five highest-paid Head coaches, though I was unable to find uh, the actual dollar figure in which he made. I didn't know this about the 49ers staff. I mean, I, I knew that they had diversity on their staff, but I wasn't really aware of the the, the high number. Uh, 23 assistants on Shanahan's staff, 11 are women or people of color. And we, and we obviously know that Robert Sala is, is probably going to be a, a sought-after NBA coach. He seemed to get everybody's attention. Uh, last season, both with his, uh, both with the way that the San Francisco 49ers defense was playing and his very, very uh, charismatic behavior on the sideline, he seemed to have gotten a lot of people's attention. But uh, he's just one of many. Uh, he he is believed to be the the league's first Arab American coordinator, which I think we talked about at, at, at length last year. But I didn't know how diverse uh, Kyle Shanahan's staff was, and I think that's pretty awesome. Now, I think Kyle Shanahan is definitely deserving of this deal that he got. And I'd have to imagine that uh, John Lynch is probably next. I think these two were tied together in the contracts that they signed. And I'd have to imagine this, this deal was uh, negotiated between Jed York and Kyle Shanahan. So I, I assume uh, John Lynch probably has a deal uh, coming his way pretty soon as well. A uh, quick mention, a uh, good week coming up. Uh, actually, it's going to be a great week over on patreon.com. If you're not a subscriber yet, uh, check us out. Patreon.com slash Damien Barling. Uh, be conscious. Uh, that is the pride and joy of the Patreon account for sure. It's definitely one of the most popular podcasts that we put out there. And we're going to talk to a sociology professor who studies uh, who studies uh, race riots, who studies um, things like what happened in Tulsa back in 1921, which for some reason has catapulted to the mainstream over the course of the last couple of weeks. People are hearing about it. For the first time, and I don't know if it's because of that Watchmen series, uh, which is it's a, it's a series that I haven't seen before. But uh, when we started talking about it a couple of weeks ago, some people pointed out that it it plays into this this HBO show, which uh, and I and I guess that's where it got kind of brought back into the forefront, and people started learning about it for the first time. And I had been reading, I had been reading a couple of articles on it a couple of papers on it, and uh, I was able to get, as I mentioned, a sociology professor who is going to uh, join me this week here on Be Conscious. Also, uh, Tyler Merritt is a name that you might recognize 
you or you might not recognize the name, but you would recognize the video that was circulating around social media several weeks ago. Uh, Dre, uh, uh, gray dreadlocks talking about before you call the police, you know, look at me as a man. And he, you know, talks about his fear of spiders and it's, it's this very emotional video. Uh, I think Jimmy Fallon played it or Jimmy Kimmel played it. I can't remember. His late night hosts were playing it. Like it made the rounds. He's going to join me as well on be conscious. So, uh, if you want to check us out over there, patreon.com slash Damian Barling. Of course, we'll have our weekly wrestling podcast. I have dubbed the tagline for that podcast. I watch wrestling so you don't have to. Fans who like to keep up with the current product but maybe don't want to invest like 12 hours a week into watching their programming, uh, I've got you covered. I make sure you're up to date on everything. A couple of people have texted you didn't talk about Backlash. I, I didn't think Backlash was, it was okay. I didn't think it was awful. I did think the match with Randy Orton and Edge was pretty good, though. Uh, I, I mean, it was probably, for those who got the tongue-in-cheek nature of the greatest wrestling match of all time, you probably thought the match was great. If you took the greatest match of all time, the greatest wrestling match of all time, like literally, I, I don't know that it was that. But it was very good. I thought it was funny when they started trading, like they hit the pedigree, and then the rock bottom, like they were they were trading, you know, superstars of the past, finishing moves, which the, the one thing that I didn't, I like that, that Randy Orton won with the punt rather than the RKO because he had already hit the RKO twice and Edge had kicked out both times. And I think there's this feeling that in order for it to be a great match, you have to kick out of the finisher like over and over and over again. I'm not really of that belief because at, at some point Edge hit, I think he hit back-to-back spears. I was like, damn, they, he kicked out of that too. It's like, okay, well, that finisher's dead. And like, I, I don't know. But the match was really, really good. I think it was like 45 minutes long. I thought they did a good job. I enjoyed that. The show as a whole, they destroyed Bobby Lashley. All of that build to make Bobby Lashley a character, a viable character that matters, they killed that. I mean, they killed that off quick. Said so the second Lana walked out, it was like, yeah, this is over. So we'll cover that in, in, in detail and the rest of the stuff going on in professional wrestling this week. Again, I watch wrestling, so you don't have to. That's over there on patreon.com slash Damian Barling. Uh, in a statement to ESPN shared by leaders of the coalition of players uh, in the NBA who have raised concerns about the return to the bubble and the potential slowing of the Black Lives Matter movement said, and I quote, we are a group of men and women from different teams and industries that are normally painted as opponents, but have put our egos and differences aside to make sure we stand united and demand honesty during this uncertain times. We are truly at an inflection point in history where as a collective community, we can band together, unify, and move as one. We need all our people with us, and we will stand together in solidarity as an oppressed community, we are going on 500 plus years of being systematically targeted, used for our intellectual property or talent, and also still being killed by the very people that are supposed to protect and serve us. We've had enough. We are combating the issues that matter most. We will not accept the racial injustices that continue to be ignored in our communities. We will not be kept in the dark when it comes to our health and well-being. And we will not ignore the financial motivations and expectations that have prevented us historically from making sound decisions. This is not about individual players. 
athletes or entertainers. This is about our group of strong men and women uniting for change. We have our respective fields. However, we will not just shut up and play to distract us from what this whole system has been about. Use and abuse. We are fathers, daughters, leaders, and much more. So what is our big picture? We are in this for unity and change. End quote. This is, for those who didn't pick up on this, there were a lot more than NBA players involved in this. The WNBA, who announced the return yesterday, uh, they're going to return. They're going to play in Florida as well. That's starting in late July. Uh, they were on the call as well, and there are a lot of NBA players that have concern. Excuse me. There are a lot of WNBA players who have concern about returning to play. And one thing that the WNBA did that was really smart is they're not going to prorate their salary. They're going to pay them their salary in full. Because I know as this was being negotiated and talked about, and you know, when games lost, well, all right, let's start to you know take away the amount that they get paid in the WNBA, the amount of money that they get paid, if you start to prorate it, I wouldn't come back. If I was a WNBA player, or if I was advising a WNBA player, I'd be like, mm-mm, y'all don't pay me enough to prorate my salary and have me, you know, enter. Again, you talk about metaphorical bubbles. This is significantly more metaphorical because it is completely unreal. It is going from a billion-dollar budget to not so much. A billion-dollar budget to balling on a budget. Those are the differences uh, between the two leagues. But WNBA players on this uh, were on this call because there was another one yesterday as well led by Kyrie Irving and Avery Bradley. And I, from what I understand, John Carlos was also on the call. Uh, Carlos is always if, if you're familiar with John Carlos and Tommy Smith, those were the two guys on the podium with the, uh, with the, with the salute, the Black Power salute. And... Of the two, John Carlos and Tommy Smith, John Carlos is very outspoken. Like, if you get the two in a room, you know, Tommy's a little bit more reserved. John Carlos is not. He will say exactly what is on his mind, and he has absolutely no problems. He will not think about any potential consequence or ramification from it. If he has something to say, that man has been through enough, he's going to say it. I'm curious to what he said on that phone call yesterday. Very, very curious. There, there's, there was also, according to a number of reports, there were also entertainers on the call. And so they say that the, you know, this, this, this coalition of players have said, you know, unity and change. That's what we're in this for. All right. I mean, who, who can argue that? Who can argue unity and change? Good stuff. So, so what are we going to do? They got me. I mean, when they say, Hey, we, we, we demand, you know, we need to be kept in the loop about our well-being. Uh, we don't want the financial ramifications of this to be ignored. Don't act like this is about anything than money. Like, I'm with all of that. That That's a given. I just want to know, okay, what's the next step? Is the next step to, you know, try to convince players to not play? And Adam Silver, again, to, to, to refer to the, to refer to the, to the return to sports thing that aired last night. Adam Silver was like, hey, you know, if guys don't want to come back, like, it's okay. We have said this from the beginning. This is a terribly, terribly unique situation. And if there are guys uncomfortable with returning, because we're asking them to make a major, major sacrifice. This is where Adam Silver knows how to talk to his players. We're asking them to make a major, major sacrifice. And with that, we understand not everybody is going to want to make that sacrifice. And it's okay. It's absolutely okay. 
But the question is, does it does it grow outside of Kyrie and Avery Bradley? And does it grow outside of this initial group of players that seem to have a concern? Dwight Howard. But he's not thinking about basketball right now. Okay. Is he going to start thinking about basketball in six days or five days when he's got to be back in Los Angeles? Is he going to start thinking about basketball in two weeks when they return to some form of practice? We don't know. Would Kyrie think differently if he was 100% healthy and Kevin Durant was healthy? I don't know. We only know that the situation that these guys are in now, and I'm all about unity and I'm all about change. I just want, what's the next step? Because I'm on board for what these guys are doing. 100%. I am on board. If they feel like this furthers the movement, I'm with them. They've got my support. I just want to know, like, okay, what are you, what are you, what are you going to do now? Because let's say, let's say 40 players defect and say, we don't want to return. And it's spread out through teams. That's a good number. And Kyrie's a big name. Avery Bradley's an important piece. But if Kyrie's the biggest name, I mean, is it, I don't know. I hate to, I don't know how to phrase, is it a big deal? But like, if, if, because really what we got to look at is, is LeBron on board for this? Because if LeBron isn't on board, then, all right. I, I, I mean, there's probably a little bit less to worry about. Here's, here's Adam Silver. Really, it's, it's more a sense from the entire NBA community that we have an obligation to try this because the alternative is to stay on the sidelines. And the alternative is to, um, in, in essence, give in to this virus. And while on one hand, this won't be forever and there, this, there, we will ultimately find a vaccine, presumably, or some sort of you know, antivirals that will help deal with the people who, who have the conditions of COVID-19, that for us, you know, we feel this is what this is what we do. You know, we put on NBA basketball. We think that for the country, it'll be a respite from enormous difficulties people are dealing with in their lives right now. And I also think in terms of social justice issues, it'll be an opportunity for NBA players in the greater community to draw attention to these issues because the world's attention will be on the NBA in Orlando, Florida, if we're able to pull this off. I really- agree uh, about the movement. I absolutely agree about social justice. I 100% agree with Adam Silver. And that's what we were talking about yesterday on the podcast is that I believe with 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 NBA faces, names like LeBron James being out there in, for, in, in, in front of the cameras regularly, I think that that's a positive. One thing that I don't agree with, and Adam Silver said right there, oh, was, will, be, will be a relief for the country. I, I, don't, I, I wish he had left that line out because I think that's what Kyrie Irving is talking about. Hey, we're not going to be a, you can't use us as guinea pigs to be distractions for people. We know things suck right now. I feel like this is what Kyrie Irving is saying. We know things suck right now, but they suck for us too. It's not like, Hey, maybe our house is a little bit bigger. You know, maybe, maybe we've got a, you know, a, a, a couple of different items in our house that other people don't have, but we've been under the same lockdown restrictions that you have been under. We've been going to the store in masks. We've been wondering if we can get enough toilet paper. We've we've had to order our food from, you know, from Amazon or from a delivery service or or whatever. We've had to wait in the same, you know, long queues that you have when it comes to that stuff. Why do we have to be a distraction when we're going through the same things? We're distracted and now we're away from our family. 
We're away from our friends. We're away from our wives, our significant others. We're away from our kids. You pay us to play basketball. You do not pay us to be a distraction. You know, you do not pay us to be some uplifting, you know, uh, entity in the United States of America. And again, it's, it's a poor example because what Kyrie Irving is talking about is that very same country, that very same group of people that you want us to uplift are the same people that have been disrespecting us for all of these years. Many of those people are the shut up and dribble people. That's what we're fighting against. It was a rare misstep from, from Adam Silver in that remark. I just don't think you can categorize the NBA as a distraction. I think that is at the forefront of what is... Frust- I don't know that frustration is the right word. I think that is at the forefront of what Kyrie Irving and these group of players is trying to say. And after all of that, it was far from all of that that, 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 that we talked about. Uh, the baseball the NFL and COVID-19 cases and Ezekiel Elliott and a little misstep there from Adam Silver. We saved the worst for last. And of course, it is courtesy of college football. When the show wrapped up yesterday, uh, went about the day, started getting alerts about what the next day's news stories came across, uh, what might be like, got, got, got alerts about what the next day's uh, podcast might look like. And, oh, look at this. What is this? It's the Buckeye Pledge. Hmm. Let's read about the Buckeye Pledge. See, Ohio State football players and their parents were asked to sign an acknowledgement that Ohio State refers to as the Buckeye Pledge. They were asked to sign an acknowledgement of risk. They were asked to sign an acknowledgement risk of waiver regarding the coronavirus pandemic. They the, 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 the Buckeye Pledge asked players to, quote, help stop the spread of COVID-19. It also goes on to say, I may be exposed to COVID-19 and other infections. By signing the two-page electronic pledge, by the way, this is not a pledge, this is a contract, this is a waiver of rights. But of course, the Buckeyes didn't want to refer to it that. Ohio State didn't want to refer to it as that. By signing the two-page electronic pledge, players agree to testing and potential self-quarantine, monitoring for symptoms, reporting for a potential exposure in a timely manner, and to practice centers for disease control and prevention guidelines, such as wearing a mask and practicing social distancing. The waiver also states any failure to comply with my Buckeye pledge above may lead to immediate removal of athletic participation privileges and or the inability to use athletic facilities. What the pledge also says is you do not hold Ohio State responsible for any sickness that has occurred during your time as a Buckeye. Ooh, I read that. I was like, wow, we're, we're doing this to college kids now. Okay, so basically what the university is saying is we want you to come work for us for free and also absolve us of all legal ramifications if you get sick. Going to need you to go ahead and sign that, dog, because if you don't sign it, can't come back to play. Hey, it's okay. I'm perfectly okay with a Buckeye pledge that says, hey, I'm going to practice social distancing I'm going to practice, uh, you know, the CDC guidelines, the CDC uh, control the prevention guidelines. Hey, I'm going to do all of that. 
I'm 100% for that. It's the right thing to do. But when you start to throw in things like, hey, you absolve us of any, you know, you don't blame us if you get sick. That's where it's like, oh, you're not looking out for your <clears throat> student athletes. I thought that was the grossest thing college football had to offer. But Mike Gundy stepped in and he said, nope, I got it. I'm good. See, Mike, Gen- Mike, uh, uh, Mike Gundy was spotted fishing in a... Uh, was that one news network shirt that that crazy ass right wing organization and and I'm not talking about like right wing like Fox News I'm talking about like extreme conspiracy theory uh like Sandy Hook was a work type thing that network he was spotted wearing one of those shirts and Chuba Hubbard the well, the, the 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 nation's leading rusher tweeted like, "Yo, wait, what? I'm I will not stand for this. This is completely insensitive to everything going on in society, and it is unacceptable." Good for you, young man. Okay. And then we got this. In light of today's tweet with the uh, t-shirt I was wearing, um, I uh, I've met with um, some players and. Uh, realize it's a very sensitive issue with what's going on uh, in today's society. And so we had a great meeting and uh, made aware of some things that uh, players feel like that can make our organization, our culture even better than it is here at Oklahoma State. And I'm looking forward to making some changes and it starts at the top with me and we got good days ahead. I'll start off by first saying that I went about, I went about it the wrong way by tweeting. I'm not someone that you know, has to you know, tweet something to break chains. I should have went to him as a man, and I'm all, I'm more about action. So that was bad on my part. But from now on, we're gonna focus on bringing change, and that's the most important thing. Oh, that young man stood next to him and apologized because he tweeted that there should be change. That's a damn shame, man. You're telling me it's like these it's like these old it's like these old white guys operate out of the same playbook. Like, oh, I, I didn't know like I, I after talking to my players, I realized what I did was insensitive. Really? You, did, you were aware of what you were wearing. Like you you and hey man, it's your right to wear that. It is your right to wear that OAN shirt. Do your thing. But when you work with young black men, you better be prepared to accept the ramifications from it. And if a simple ramification from the nation's leading rusher is, hey, I'm not going to, this is terrible. This is insensitive. I ain't going to do nothing with Oklahoma State until things change. Well, things change pretty quick. I don't know, what, what, do you get a call saying we're going to, Move your athletic scholarship. Would you say, hey, you d- d- don't clap on social media. Come, you know, get on this video with me and apologize. One guy in that video apologized, and it wasn't the one who needed to. And, hey, you can argue that Mike Van Gundy didn't even need to apologize. He's out fishing if he wants to wear, hell, if he wants to wear a KKK shirt, a white power shirt. Hey, man, go ahead. But you better be prepared to deal with the ramifications of it. And maybe Trouble Hubbard isn't at the place in his life where he feels like he can hold a grown-ass man, particularly a football coach, particularly somebody who holds the keys to his NFL future in his hand. Maybe he doesn't feel like he can stand up to him 
just yet. I'd argue he's wrong and he could, but maybe he's not in that place yet as a, as, as a, as a young 19, 20, 21-year-old man. And that's okay. But Mike Van Gundy is going to suffer some ramifications from this. It just might not be this season. But when his ass goes to sit down with a black family and try to convince, you know, the nation's leading high school rusher that they could come to Oklahoma State, you're going to have to explain your behavior. Not only are you going to have to explain your uh, apparent love for that organization, you're going to have to explain why you made that young man stand next to you and apologize for, for tweeting that he wants something better for the university that he goes to. We appreciate you so much for tuning in this morning. As always, subscribing, rating, reviewing. If you're new to the show and you haven't uh, rated the show yet, uh, particularly on Apple Podcasts, could you do that? Just let everybody know that you love us, man. That would be fantastic. It certainly helps us get noticed over there on our Apple Podcast platform. And the show has uh, experienced some fantastic growth over the course of the last couple of weeks. And I thank each and every single one of you for that. And uh, we're just beginning, man. I keep I keep alluding to it. We've got some... We've got some pretty awesome stuff on the horizon, and we're just within days of being able to announce what that stuff is to you, man. So thank you so much for the amazing support here of this podcast. Thank you so much for the amazing support of our podcast network. You know, episode number two of Relive is available right now on the same podcast platform that you're listening to. Episode number three, which I absolutely believe is the best episode of all of the ones I've completed. Uh, It's going to be available for you uh, tomorrow. Uh, on these very same podcast platforms. So get caught up on Relive. Go check us out on Patreon, patreon.com. It's going to be a great week for Be Conscious. Uh, If you want to jump in on the subscription tier there, that's DamienBarling.com or patreon.com slash DamienBarling. Have a great rest of your day. We'll get you caught up with everything tomorrow here on the podcast with Damien Barling.